The Electrician Podcast, powered by Schneider Electric. We're bringing you the electrical industry experts you need to hear to discuss the topics you need to know about. Hey guys, and thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Electrician Podcast, powered by our friends over at Schneider Electric. Now, I've had the absolute privilege of having a chat with Sparky Ninja, aka David Watts, and normally Harrison, who's joined us today, is on there to produce the show, listen to it and edit it, but things are a little bit different. I'm working remotely. He was on annual leave. H, what did you think of the show? You just had a listen. Yeah, I had the fortunate position of being a true listener and editing the show, so you know I could shape the conversation how I wanted. <laughs> no, but it was gen- genuinely a fascinating conversation you guys had. Um, yeah, uh, David is extremely passionate about the industry, and it, you know, I could see you. I could see because I get to see the video as well. You were like lit up the whole time when someone comes in with so much energy and passion. You can't, you know, you can't help but feel lifted up by it all. Um, and he's just, just super knowledgeable, and the amount of stuff he covers as well, just mind blown. And for those of you that don't know who Sparky Ninja or David Watts is. I would definitely say I'm not going to try and give the intro now because he spends the first few minutes of the first episode of this podcast, because I think H you said, because it was such an expansive conversation, we're actually going to split up into two parts. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. He likes to say he, he intros himself covers like where, where he's set out to do his sparky ninja uh, side of things. Then you guys dive into to the meat and bones of it. But yeah, I thought that there was so much valuable content here. I think for the listeners, it makes sense to split it into two and make it a little bit more digestible. And one thing that kind of took me back is I don't think I've ever been silent for so long on a podcast because normally I like to jump in and ask questions, but his energy, his passion for it was so infectious that I just ended up becoming like a listener of David for the first five, seven minutes of the show. I was silent. It was amazing to hear about him, his journey. And I kind of got onto this podcast because we're having some conversations within the electricians group, which is our Facebook group. Um, Again, powered by our friends over at Schneider Electric. And it's a great community of Sparks. And we're really talking about what's going on with the regulation right now. And what is the future of the industry look like? How do we give ourselves as electricians the most chance of success moving forward in this landscape and that keeps changing. And I kept bringing this question up to David and where we ended up in terms of, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to give it away, but his takeaway sort of hits me. And I'm like, wow, that is such a good summary of how to think about the future of yourself, your career within this industry. I think so many people are going to get value from this, whether you're just coming into the industry or whether you are this air quotes, time serve electrician. And we get onto that as well. And yeah. It's a great, guys, it's a wonderful conversation. Um, H, anything for you to add before we jump into part one? Just one thing. uh, Some of the stuff that David raises, uh, there will be links in the show notes for what he talks about. So just take a look in there if there's anything you're interested in. Uh, But with that out of the way, mate, let's dive into the show. So David, I'm just going to double check it's David because is your mother in the room today? Can I call you She's not, no. She's at at her place. It's fine. Perfect. So so we can go with Dave. Dave, thanks so much. Go, Dave. It's fine. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Dave, before we jump into like the topic of the conversation today, can you just do a bit of like context setting and just let people know who you are? Because people might not know you as David Watts. They might know you as Sparking Ninja and recognize the voice. Can you just shed some light on who you are and what you do? All right. So my name is Dave Watts. I am an electrician. I'm a third generation electrician. My dad's electrician, my granddad, who's just passed away, bless him, uh, was electrician. I went straight to the trade from school with a family firm. Um, we did my apprenticeship at race course and developed loads of great skills. And my dad told me at the time, 
that you don't know what you want to do with the rest of your life, but if you go to do this apprenticeship, you'll always have a skill. So whenever you want to change something, you can always go back on a skill. If you have skills, you can use skills and you'll always have work. There'll always be opportunities for work. Um, and so I took that on. When I left working with him, I went into um, social housing, into voice inspections, and I went into London to do loads of contract work. And then, I don't know, five or so years later, I got into training. When I got into training, I got into training because really I was interested in relearning. Because when we do our college, we go, okay, okay, here's an exam. Okay, there's another exam. Great, great. I passed my exam by training and I'll go and earn proper money and I may leave where I am or whatever. That's kind of the, 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 the road to the lot of apprentices go through. And I did the same thing. Uh, I went for the better money. I found better opportunities, but then I realized a lot further down the road, there's a lot at the, in the training that I just shelved that I needed to come back to learn. So I decided just to go straight into training to try to relearn and update what I knew and clearly fill in the gaps that I'd completely uh, forgotten about. I really enjoyed it. But I did notice in training, there was an awful lot of, because I worked at an FE college, there was an awful lot of poor support for the apprentices who come in with the other tutors and stuff. So I tried to just do my best in offering support for learners. And it, get, it got me in a bit of trouble with the college because they kind of realised that I was making the other trainers look a bit mad because the other, the other cohorts or the other candidates, I'd pop in to help shadow a session and I'd actually put in the effort and they'd ask me to come back. So I realised there were gaps. I then got into the private training sector and I realized the problem was a lot worse with regards to the way things like Part P training was being used to create packages of training to make people electricians through registration with organizations, having just a combination of short courses, having very little experience. A lot of people were getting into the sector with very little experience, but the industry was saying, no, 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 you're good. You're good. You've got this. You've got this. You've got this. You've, you've given us a membership fee. You've joined up. If you go. Um, and sometimes people are offering to work for free to gain experience because you can't you can't underestimate the value of experience. It's what apprenticeships are really supposed to be about, the idea of doing MBQs, getting portfolios of evidence. So I noticed a huge problem there. And a few years later, I got to the situation where I looked at things like the 18th edition or the 17th edition at the time, and the way it was being delivered as a tick box exercise. I just thought around me, I thought, okay, do you know what? I can't. I can't just help these people in my group. I need to try to reach out a bigger, a bigger group. So I went to YouTube. There was at that time only a couple of people doing YouTube, you know, an absolute legend. And now a very close personal friend of mine, John Ward, was doing YouTube. And he was one of my, my you know, he's, he's my big inspiration to say, oh, you know, I can throw this stuff on YouTube. And um, so I did that. I did a couple of things, just try and prove the learning that I thought would could be better in one training room, one subject here, one subject there. Then I did the regulations themselves because, again, I had so many people that would say, I'll go on the course and all they're doing is give me practice exams, practice exams and practice exams. And if all your learning is about looking at the exam at the end, you're missing on the opportunity to develop yourself on the way. You know, many people just want to get their certificate because they're told they need to do it because they're not shown the benefit of developing yourself. If you get the opportunity to develop yourself and then actually support yourself, you'll find much more opportunities with work. You'll find much more opportunities for, you know, for, for to supporting others as well. And it makes you just feel a lot more valued in your everyday if you can help others whilst you also, you know, support and feed your family. Um, so I started doing all of that stuff and I started going, okay, I need to deliver to more people. All right. I did a podcast. I did a podcast like I launched it about four years ago. Um, 
And then I started working with some lads who came over to me because of what I was doing. And again, oh, that's interesting. So we, we, we got this E5 group going. And then we started doing a podcast there. All about, again, trying to level up or improve the approach and improve the industry. And we all have this same kind of opinion, really. We're not here to kind of try to change everything, but we just want to make sure that when we do leave the industry, we've tried to leave it in a better situation than we have found it on our journey. Because we've all, you know, we've all found that there are so many frustrations for electricians, people coming into the industry today, just as much as people have been in the industry for many years. There are many little issues. And we, should, we try to approach those. So I've... I've put myself out there onto YouTube. I've got podcasts. I've got my own communities as well in platforms like Facebook. I've got Discord servers. It sounds like maybe I've put myself in too many places. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember where the heck I am sometimes. Um, but I do get an awful lot of support. I've got some very, 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 very expert individuals who are far more able than me um, in these places who support those communities and who support, you know, um, everybody. Um and that's the thing, really. I mean, Sparky Ninja was actually, the name Sparky Ninja wasn't my idea. It was my brother's. Um, and I said to him, because he's, he's into all like graphic design and, and website development. I said, oh, you know, I need to, I need to do science to this. And he said, he'd only help me if he called myself, call it Sparky Ninja. Not myself, but call it Sparky Ninja. I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, the idea is to try to make any electrician, anyone who chooses to work a little harder, chooses to find opportunities for better development for themselves will actually then level themselves up and find they get more opportunity and find they get more value in what they can do. You know, instead of also all saying, right, you're all there. Well done. They don't need to do any more. We need to find those who want to do more and give them the opportunity to do more. We don't need to say everyone needs to do more, but there are opportunities for people to do more learning, to progress their training, or even things like regulations training, especially in testing training, which is what Spark Ninja will be doing probably in the next six months to a year is providing more resources, enhancing that training, pushing things further so that they can then become better inspectors, better designers, better testers, you know. Um, so we just, we just tear things open and go into more depth. No, it's not for everybody. It's fine. But for those who want it, we need to see if we can find the right ways to support it, nurture it, so they can then move forwards. Um, and that's kind of where things are now. Um, I've been doing a lot of work with E5 um, because, you know, sometimes it's boring doing it all by yourself. And when you've got a team of lads who kind of want to add stuff, it gets very interesting. And obviously, the bigger bigger audience we get, the more problems we get thrown our way. It's like, oh, great. Okay. And we get people presenting stuff to us, which is actually you know, a bit of a sensitive subject in the industry, things like, you know, diverted neutral currents, things like phenolic degradation, and all these little things, which are not really, no electricians really know about this, or they're not being trained to understand this. But people are very, very vulnerable to it. And we've just just heard past few days, there's actually currently an investigation to a death from phenolic degradation. Wow. So unless we take it upon ourselves to find the information, to understand it better, to then deliver it to electricians who can either choose to go, oh, they're, they're just a bunch of overindulgent idiots, ignore them, fine. But those who want to understand it, we want to discuss it with them. Dave, you know? your, your, your energy, by the way, for, I don't think I've ever sat so silent on a podcast. Sorry. No, I, I love it. And I've done a number of podcasts uh, for this um, show, as well as probably 500 podcasts in the past. And I don't think I've ever sat so, so silent. Your energy for this is like, it rubs off. It's kind of like, the problem is there's so much. And you kind of just like, just want to get it out to everybody. Because we find, we find so many people who actually will respond to us via 
messaging services like you know all instagram facebook wherever they are they'll just say thank you you know or they'll just say you know this has actually changed everything that i do and there's just so many more people that need to see the opportunities that you can get and we're not just saying you know you need to listen to us we'd much like to say look that's great that's great go there do this do that you know um, so we're always seeking more resources we're also always seeking other places uh, because you know if we just listen to ourselves we just could become an isolated little bundle of idiots from what you've shared there's so many things that i've noted down you probably saw me scribbling away uh, mm-hmm. that I'd, li- I'd like to unpack and if i ever get the opportunity to sit down with you again i would love to actually chat about the background being third generation but really what i wanted to pull you on the show for today was really thinking about the future so you've done a lot of training a huge amount of interactions with different electricians from different levels within the industry and one thing that you you said that i had to make a note of and put a big circle around which is you wanted to leave the industry in a better situation than it is when you found it and there's 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 little problems that you've identified that need fixing if we zoomed into training so obviously that's very close to you and what you do mm-hmm. if you had to think about the the future of training within the industry what what are the little issues that you think that need to get ironed out well there's a lot of work that's going on right now which is trying to do it and so i'm right now kind of just going right that's great and i'm just hoping that they do a good job and that the outcome is good there are some potential issues with it but one of the biggest problems we have right now is just you know there's a taboo word in our in our industry uh, competence and everyone seems to kind of not really know how to handle that word there's committees going on there's meetings going on there's there's papers going on all about understanding what competence is and how to kind of interpret competence we've got the building act coming through we've got the new bsi flexes which are all about you know getting a more effective understanding of competence and a lot of that is quite contradictive to the way we've used or handled competence in the last 10 or so years where we've just tried to hit you know we've just relied on a competent person scheme to kind of determine a certain value of competence but then what we've had is we've had that delivered in a much smaller scale but then some of the other people have come into the industry who are not matching or hitting that so i've always kind of championed the idea of license to practice now there's it's always a taboo subject because there's too many people and how would they actually you know orchestrate that there's one company in northern ireland sparksafe which had a really good go at license to practice and in northern ireland um, they've actually got it to the point where a lot of the governmental work and contracts require a license to practice through their organization and what they do is they um they quality check the actual qualifications they will check individuals you know, one of the problems that we have right now is a lot of the registration schemes that we have are based on a organization mm-hmm. who has a individual or two who may be the representatives of the organization. And then they may have under them electricians who aren't supported properly to reach those levels, or maybe even people who haven't put on training. And so we get very different levels of competence. But then again, at the same time, all those persons who aren't technically supported to that level, they're still getting lots of experience. So we define the right ways to capture that experience. And what I have been noticing, I've been doing some work with NET. We did some work on the uh, inspection and testing app. And I've um, done some work with TESP and I've got the uh, the um, electrotechnical STEM ambassador set up. So trying to just embrace the right route into training, which is, you know, the apprenticeship route, but understanding that, you know, the apprenticeship route, whilst there's a certain, you know, there's a certain ideal age to do that, there are apprentice opportunities for 
many ages. Dave, what, what, what would you define as that that right age to come into the industry? If someone's listening to this right now and thinking about this as a mm. trade, because we do have lots of self-employed, newly self-employed mm. sports listening to this podcast, as well as we, we are hoping to grow the audience of people that are not yet in the industry and want to learn from this podcast. Is this an industry for them? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's two flips to the coin on this. I mean, the first thing is we need to make sure that people at school are told that trades are great, you know, because there's always this kind of taboo subject about, you know, about, you know, uh, you won't, if you don't do well, you'll just, you'll end up, you know, doing my landscaping or building a wall, etc. When really people who actually get skills have a lot of freedom at work, mm-hmm. especially when people go self-employed, they get a lot of freedom and, you know, it's a great thing. In schools, there's not a lot of that. And this again, it's one of the things that I'm going to be doing. Uh, I've actually already done a few schools in the Northeast where I've gone in. I've talked about electrical science and principles. A lot of schools want to talk about net zero, okay. about the future. And what I try to do is say, we can do a bit on that, but we just need to talk about the basic core principles. You know, let's go in and actually do a little demonstration of, of you know, um, electricity you know so i've gone in and i've i've gone in and i've demonstrated you know with the, the van der graaf and, and the and the electrons and i've gone and shocked a couple of things and made them float um at that grassroots level and if we can get them to look into the industry then come in as an apprentice it's the ideal thing but this is another thing i have an issue with is some people are given apprenticeships without but they haven't yet got jobs you know to give someone an apprenticeship but they don't have a job yet and they're not supposed to have, they're not supposed to actually have this unless they're employed because the employment gives them the experience through the MVQs. But there's this, there's this, there's this issue where they just try to get people on these funded training routes. That sort of like circles back to what you said, um, which I, I thought was an interesting point earlier, which was, and I'm, I'm not averse enough in the industry to know how it mm-hmm. used to be, but you said there's a combination of short courses that give very little experience. You pay a membership fee and then you, you're sort of like kicked out the door and then you go. That's what's happened. That's what's happened um, since around 2006 or seven. Okay. They got carried away with doing that because of Park P. Because when Park P came out in 2004, it created this um, area called a defined scope, which meant at that point, you know, because before that, electricians would go to electrician college, mm-hmm. three years, four years done. But then defined scope came out, and at defined scope, that, that they then enabled the fact to say, well, we don't need to have all of that. We can define the scope. So when Part Pew first came out, they said, okay, well, there's gardens, bathrooms, and then there's overall homes. And then they created training routes for different areas. And that, that what they then did is that they said, well, we only need bits of that. So the training was shrunk. So, you know, there was training for Part Pew brought out initially by awarding organizations like EAL. They got shut down after a few, after a couple of years, because that effort had been made, the short courses that were available were then just kind of used as a way to combine people to access the industry. And this has happened again. This has happened for fifteen years or so. But sorry, sorry to interrupt there. Does that end up just from an outsider's perspective looking in? Does that end up having like the theory and the context being taken away from the learning and more of a know which box to tick or am i being too crude with it you're not far from it there because the problem is if people want to i mean let's 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 go away from the the young young people who should probably go through apprenticeships to level employ you know the, the way we recognize it should go let's go to people who are you know changing career at 30 or 40 they may have some money and they may just want to do the quick route to get a quick access to change their life and so they'll throw some money at these organizations and then they'll just compile this, this route. And when, when I was first um, really concerned is when I was working with an organization and about 
two days into a three-day 238-215, which was the older regulations. But the, the gentleman at lunchtime went onto the website with one of the CPSs. He signed up and he joined. And later in that week, he was active on their website. And the guy had never actually, never wired a fuse board. He'd never put up a light, but he'd already got his, 18th, his uh, 17th edition. And he was active on the system. Uh, and we had this loss of control. Um, I've, I've put some stuff on my YouTube channel that kind of just moaned about this a lot more about five or six years ago, maybe five years ago. They kind of opened the barn doors and let people, because the problem is when you have one organization that takes memberships and you have another organization that takes memberships and those, those are empowered with the ability to determine what levels are required to join them, they'll start high and then they'll lower them a little bit. They'll lower them a little bit. And this is what happened. They started with like the 2391 which was always a very technically challenging qualification, the older 2391. The new one's still pretty tough, but the older one people recognise as the harder one because it was closed book written. But that was required for the qualified supervisor when it all started. But then after a couple of years, one of them took that away, which meant people who weren't able to hit that moved over there. So then they took that away. Commercial decisions yeah. driving it. And, and so everything got lowered and lowered and lowered to the point where it was just put out of control. And this is where I was really seeing the problem. So where I started becoming more forward in trying to say, no, 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 look, okay, here's the problem. People who want to change career, they don't actually have the freedom to choose which one does the best training because they don't know. Before they come into the sector, they don't know. All they know is what the company says that will be required of them, how much it will cost them and what they'll be able to do at the end of it. And for no thought of their own, they'll go with the thing that suits them best. Mm -hmm. And this is what I've said, and we said in the E5 group, people who have come in with very little experience, we need to find a way for electricians and the rest of the industry to fund or support them gaining that experience. We can't just oust them. We can't just say, no, no you're not suitable. And this is, what's, this is what's becoming a bit of a vulnerability now because TESP, the, uh, the electrotechnical specification people, they've obviously stepped in because they've seen a huge issue with this. They've got this rogue trainers um campaign which i've supported and pushed which is highlighting this to hopefully people wanting to come up into this industry you know colleges that say oh yeah you'll be an electrician after doing this week this week this week and that week those are recognized as red flags by test which is supposed to be representative of the industry um but there's no real control over this you know there's no real control over this and where do you think it kind of sounds like from what you're saying is we might end up going back full circle to how it used to be. If you had to think about the future of training mm -hmm. and to put you in that position, if you could choose what the, and using air quotes here for people listening, there's yeah. probably not no one singular right route, but the right route of coming into the industry and not just about getting the qualification, but to also be successful and enjoy it. What would that look like? It's pretty much going to be doing that. Uh, okay. It's because what they're going to now push, and it's, it's the new requirement with the electrotechnical technical assessment specification is that they have to have an MVQ level three or equivalent or a qualification that matches the MVQ level three. When we, when we, what we, what we need to identify is a lot of the shorter routes you would self-study some people with some, some colleges, you get books at home, you study, then you have a got mocks, you practice exams and mocks, you go and you do exams, you're passing. You're not actually doing a lot of the work. A lot of people spend a lot of money at home trying to build their own rigs to try to develop their skills. They'll then go to a college. They may do a couple of days practical performance and then they may have an assessment, but there's no real development of experience. Mm -hmm. And this is what's missing when you don't do an apprenticeship. Um, so what needs to happen, this is what they, they've, they've pretty much done now, is the MVQ 
the point of the MVQ is portfolio of performance evidence. So the assessor would then liaise with the candidate, with the learner, and say, okay, right, we need to see two examples of this, two examples of that. And it's all mapped down to say that they've done this practically, not theoretically. Mm-hmm. And that's how they capture your experience. And that's really the shortcoming of training today is that there is not enough opportunity for people to develop experience to then, at the end, when they are supposed to be competent, actually have that. Um, we had like new regulations came in uh, a few years ago. London Fire Brigade went knocking at the IT's door and basically said that fires in the home have gone up from like 25 per year and then a few years later to over 270 per year in the board in the home under the stairs and when they actually looked into this this is the domestic sector they found that there were two underlying problems one was that the boards weren't really non-flame propagating which meant they didn't contain the fire mm-hmm. yeah okay but the bigger question was why are there fires so fundamentally the, the main problem was workmanship but as i've said i've personally seen many people on the system and they're saying to me dave dave I've never done a board and now I can go to someone's house and do a board and they question me because I don't think it's right. But the way the system is arranged, that is actually how it has been happening. I'm saying how, because they are very, very proactively trying to close this now. TESP uh, campaigns looking at trying to close this, this bulk short course route, but there are still some colleges delivering it. What's your degree of confidence and time frame to see meaningful changes in the, I guess, the future of training for the industry? When would you expect to see some of this trickle down into reality? I think looking at the progress that's being made via via um, things like the you know the road trains campaign, the work that tests are doing, I I don't feel as if I need to keep trying to you know I don't feel as if I'm alone trying to you know work out what's going on. I feel like they've got they've got the message. They know what's the problem. Obviously, there are some people involved in all this process who are also part of the cause of the problem. Um, but you know. Um, great, but we can learn, we can improve, and we can adjust. So I mean, I'm hoping that within four or five years, it's going to be a lot more clear cut. Once the existing qualifications that are being used this way maybe close, say, for example, electric vehicle charging. Electric vehicle charging, I'm sorry, I'm rambling now. The 2919 qualification um, and another qualification, which was developed and partner with one manufacturer and one CBS, they developed a one-day course or a two-day course but the course itself was really aimed for people who were of lower experience levels because part of the course included the need to terminate an armoured cable. And this should not be a course for those kind of persons with that lacking of experience. And they've looked into this and they've identified that. So what they've done is they've taken that qualification, you know, because there's been audits about the condition of electric vehicle charging point installations. And these are very, very concerned uh, issues because, again, with electric vehicles, we're taking a huge vehicle, plugging it on the mass of Earth outside, and connecting it to the earth reference of your intake. There are many scenarios where that could be very dangerous if you have a poor supply quality or if you have different voltage potentials between extraction and exposed conductive parts. So they've gone, ooh, ooh, ooh. And they've looked at the audit and they've, they've just scrapped it. It doesn't run after September this year. So they're introducing a new qualification, the 29210 or something. I forgot. I've actually hang on, I've got the paperwork for it on my desk somewhere. I was reading it the other night. But they've had to redo it. They've had to rewrite it. And one of the requirements of that is that the persons who enroll on this course are already electricians, like MVQ level three. Now, that will isolate some people, which is one of the concerns, because we have this we have this culture where a lot of people don't have that. Mm-hmm. So they have to find the right way to provide the support to get them there. 
but it's an example of these short courses. The the all these short courses are supposed to be courses that are added to an electrician's journey. I've done that. Now I can do this, and I can do that, and I can do that. Instead of taking all of those and creating a journey, so they're supposed to work in that certain fashion. Now the two the electric vehicle course is a good example. I reckon that after four or five years, this will happen similarly with another number of the other short qualifications. Once those short qualifications are kind of closed off for inexperienced candidates, then we can improve the quality of the qualifications because we don't need to worry about a lacking of experience. We can focus on the development of an enhanced experience, an enhanced level of technical knowledge. So they're actively doing this. I'm kind of just like, watching from a distance i i do we get involved i do get messages back and forth with them um but they're on it and so i think i think in four or five years we'll have a much better understanding but what i need to do is make sure that everything else that's there now gets flushed out or dissolved because it's very the landscape will be very very confusing if they don't find a way to properly police the training into industry routes there's no policing in the industry that's 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 one of the biggest issues. And so, you know, if, if companies, you know, want to train people to become electricians and they can then say, well, you know, we'll do these little training levels and then we'll say you're an electrician. The only thing that kind of places it is where the off-qual qualifications are awarded, which are the regulated qualifications, which are the ones that employers should look for. That's the best thing that we have. Or, or it sounds like from what you said is when there's a series of accidents or home fires and then it ends up being part of a survey or audit and they go, actually, what's the root cause of the problem? And it, it has to be a problem identified at scale before we actually look at the root cause here. And unfortunately, we see this all this time. We see the problems now, but we're like, okay, but we're gonna have to wait for someone to die or something to happen or some big fire for them to actually get up and then to fix this problem. You know, um, we're seeing issues with diverted neutrals, we're seeing fires, we're seeing issues with sonic degradations. We've seen issues three. One one um, distributor put out a release just last week about three arc flash incidences in the last three months for meter operators. So they're having to rewrite the methods of approach for meter operators. But electricians are now being asked under the EICR to look at the condition, not not inspect in depth, but to give a condition inspection of the cutout. But these things, you know, if electricians get their hands on them, there could be dangerous voltages there. There could be risks of an arc flash. But electricians aren't being given this extra understanding because it's just a, there's, the, there's always a delay in this. Dave, for, for a non-electrician, what does an arc flash mean and what's the risk there, just so I understand it? So an arc flash is where you have an awful lot of energy potentially. And let's say, for example, you have an isolator or a switch. Mm-hmm. They're manufactured to have a certain gapping distance, relative or suitable uh, dap- uh, gapping distance for the voltage that's there. If you have an overvoltage, the equipment should be able to sustain that. So it should be rated for a potential overvoltage within its rated tolerance, such as, you know, two and a half kilovolts, four kilovolts, six kilovolts. Otherwise, it's not correctly selected. However, if the equipment starts to deteriorate due to age, wear and tear, or it's under neglectful levels of maintenance, there could be some issue. You may, for example, have an environment that's clean, good air, and suddenly you open up the enclosure while still energized and lots of damp air or moisture gets in degrading the insulation dielectric strength of the air gapping, which lowers its insulation. Or you may have someone working in a buzz bar or an assembly or a switchboard, leaving a tool, not, for, not, not remembering it's there, closing it up, then the next person goes in, the tool fills and short circuit between. So when we have this lower insulation, we can have an arc gap across there. Or when we have a short circuit with a tool, we can have just a short circuit gap. And then what that is, it's just a huge amount of energy from the short circuit current 
in that supply. But instead of actually just going like that, it can then create an arc across that gap. And what will happen there is the air will ionize with you know, relative to the arc, and then it will become self-conductive. So wow. at that point, you have this arc, which could be you know, 35,000 degrees or so in your face, and then there'll be shrapnel in your face, and then there'll be air pressure in your face. Um, they're very nasty. Now, in the UK, we have an approach of not live working. We have Eric PD, you know, eliminate. Um, but there are many of us who go, yeah, yeah, okay. But then we live work anyway, you know, like ZE tests, live tests, even things like inspecting distribution equipment. Well, it could be live work if that distribution equipment is faulty. And if our inspection is to see if it's faulty, then we need to consider that it could be faulty. So we should consider the risk of an arc flash. In the United States, they take a different approach to this. They recognize under an FPA 70E and they say, right, arc flash values are a risk. What is the level of energy that could be there? And they calculate that in calories. And if they say it could be more than 1.2 calories per centimeter square, you have to dress up in the right equipment. So fire rated equipment, baraclava, face shield. Mm -hmm. If you look at guys who come to replace meters, they'll have the gloves on, they'll have the face shield, you know, they'll have the resources in case it arcs out when they handle it. So this is what arc flash is. Um, right. There's a guy. Uh, there's a guy who's done a great talk on this. Uh, Mike Frayne at the IET. If you do a search on YouTube, he did a talk about arc flash. He's just published a book about it recently. He's probably one of the uh, the, the, the experts of it in this country. So guys, we're going to leave it there for part one of this conversation with David Watts, aka Sparky Ninja. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you get notified when part two lands. If you have any follow-up questions and want to carry on any element of this conversation, head over to Facebook, look for the Electricians Group powered by Schneider Electric and carry on the conversation over there. Thanks for listening. If you are enjoying this show, please leave a review. Hit subscribe and stay tuned for more episodes.